You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Today's topic, um, I want to get in on the business side of colonization. And specifically, I want to go into the details and the origins of Virginia Company, the Virginia Company of London. Uh, Now, for some of you, you have seen some of this information in my other material. Uh, A little bit of it will be a repeat, and I am adding on to it. And the purpose of me doing this content, because I want to be clear on what colonization is, who is and was responsible for colonization, and when these things happened. Because what we are in the midst of now are the remnants of colonization, okay? And colonization runs so deep that it is in the fabric of not only the culture of a society, it's also rooted in religion, okay? And we're going to go over that, and we're going to tie the pieces together um, about how religion comes into play with colonization. So the title of this particular podcast is The Business of Colonization, The Virginia Company. All right, so let's um, do a little bit of technology here. And this is going to get into uh, what I originally presented uh, in a podcast. I think it was on the Haiti one, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so this particular blurb is going to be uh, a repeat for folks, but we're going to go into it a little bit more deeper. So those of you that have heard this information before, just be a little bit patient. Okay, so this is again from a website called paysewer.net, and this section is the Virginia Company. Uh, When I went over this information, I know I put it in Hades information. And then I've also several times explained to you uh, what the Paysewers or who the Paysewers are. Uh, They are a family that was um, sanctioned by the king, uh, King Louis out of France, to manage the assets of the empire. Okay, so this Paysewer family literally Uh, in the Americas were responsible for managing all of the assets that the the empires stole, okay? So literally almost any industry you could think of rolled up to the Paysewers, which is really just a trust and holding company, all right? So just wanted to give you just a little bit of insight on who the the Paysewers are. And you can again come to this particular website and you can get the history 
uh, of the Pesuras as well. All right. Um, I'll try to link the podcast where I went over the Pesuras in this video. Child, I have to remember. <laughs> so let's uh, hit it. The charter to the Virginia Company granted by King James provided for the incorporation of two companies, the London Company and the Plymouth Company. It was the London Company that established the first permanent English colony in America. The expedition of 120 settlers who left England in December 1606 and made their first landfall at Cape Henry, April 29, 1607, and planted a colony at Jamestown, May 14th. As is always the case, <clears throat> the passage of time and the development of the technology of the times gradually brought the prospects of travel to the New World closer to the average man of the street. In anticipation of the flood of people to the New World, which was, in a time not too far off, inedibly, and, and, order, and in order to take advantage of the possibilities for trade and commerce, which would then be affordable, in 1604, a group of prominent statesmen, businessmen, merchants, financiers, and manufacturers assembled in Greenwich in the county of Kent, England, to create and form a corporation, joint stock company, and body politics which was to be known and called the Virginia Company. Boom. Okay. Now, when I uh, gave you all the information, and shout out to the sis, um, she wanted to stay anonymous, that gave me the information on the uh, surnames coming over to the Americas in the 16. 19, they called it the 1619 Visitation of Kent. Okay. So now here we go. Once again, they are telling you how the Virginia Company was started. And these financiers, these businessmen and these merchants they did what, where they came together to uh, to um, form Virginia Company to finance people coming to the New World. And where did they come out of? The county of Kent. Okay? So let me hold on a second. I'm going to pull that document and shout out to the sis who sent me that, that information just blew my wig back. And I, I, I misspoke on um, Legendary Top Cat show and gave the credit to Sis Tressy. Um, she wasn't the one that gave me that information. She, Sis Tressy's always sending me excellent, excellent info. It was another sis that wanted to remain anonymous. And I'm going to respect her wishes. Okay? So let me pause this that this video and just to give you all an outline 
of the details of them documenting who was coming over on the American shores and documenting down to the surnames, their family lineage, even the crest. So hold on a second. I forgot that they put that up in here in this document that they came from the county of Kent. So hold on, family. Okay, family, here we go. <clears throat> so this is the document. As you can see, this is from the public library of the city of Boston. Okay, so uh, to download this PDF, you have to search for this link. And uh, you'll be able to download a copy of this. Okay, I've shown this before. Um, but just so you are clear. Okay, so this is the visitation of Kent. Taken in the years 1619 through 1621. Okay. Uh, published in London in 1898. I'm sorry. Um, so it is telling you the visitation of Kent, known as the visitation of 1619, was taken in the years 1619 to 1621 by John Philip Pott, Rogue, Dragon, Marshall, and Deputy to William Camden. I'm going to say, I'm just going to say Clarence, you all. The official copy signed by those who entered their pedigrees to record their right to use the arms tricked, okay? So those coat of arms, they have to be approved. Remains in the College of Arms and bears the press mark of C-16, Sam's mentioned another copy in Camden's handwriting with additional additions, sorry, among the Philippop MSS also in the college. Okay, so this whole notion that we don't know and they don't know the specific Black Europeans that came over here is totally, utterly false. It was very well documented. Hence is why you can find the ship manifest with black folk coming over from Europe. But what we can't find are the massive amounts of ship manifest rather for the millions coming over from Africa. Okay, there are several copies of this visitation, at least eight of which are more or less complete, are in the British Museum. One is in the Library of the Queen's College, Oxford. Another in the Library of Cassius College, Cambridge. And another in the possession of H. Farnham Burke Esquire, Somerset Harrow. Of these in the British Museum, four are in the collection in... Harleyan MSS, and they give out the numbers. So I am showing you to show they kept meticulous records. Okay? Because at the end of the day, this was about business. 
and then also to trace who is where through family lineages and bloodline. That's why it is important for you to know who you are. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to just skip through all of this. It talks about the coat of arm. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm trying to get to the part. Arms and seals of the deans and chapters of the Cathedral Church of Christ in Canterbury. An alphabetical table of the surnames and families whose pedigrees are exhibited in this book. Okay, so I'm not going to read through all of that. Here's the alphabetical list. Here's the list. Okay. So these surnames are black European surnames. The white population really have the surnames of black folk, not the other way around, right? And how do we know this? Because again, the rulership of power during this time frame, aka the dark ages, were black rulership, okay? Whites were married into particular families. <clears throat> and then uh, the rest of them took on these surnames of these melanated Europeans. Okay. So just wanted to show you, I'm not going to go through that. Um, I want to, okay, this is what I want to show you. How detailed this is. So this is the surname up here. It tells you what the coat of arms for this surname is made up of. And it's breaking down lineage at this time of 1619. So they can't sit here and tell me that folks didn't know who was whom and what was going on. It was meticulously documented. And as a matter of fact, the first one on this list, my bad, uh, was King James. Oh, come on, thing. Now I'm not in the mood. Uh, bear with me, family. Oh, maybe if I don't have it blown up so much. Okay, there we go. Okay, so let me, uh, I wonder if I can page down. Yep, page down. Okay, yep. All right, bear with me. I want to get to the first surname on here. Uh, just to show you, it's going to be King James. Okay. All righty. Do, 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 do. Come on, come on. Come on, come. There it is. It keeps jumping back. Okay, hold on. Just want to just real quick run through James and then we're going to get back to the topic at hand, which is the London Company. But I'm doing this 
to show you all how it all connects. Okay. Oh, come on. Doggone it. I hate working with these documents sometimes. You do it with my hand, I'll be better off. Okay, I know I didn't go that far. Let me just go back to page five. Sorry, family. Nope. Uh, three. So I could have sworn James was the first one on the list. Not, I'll just keep it moving. But James is in here. This is my point I'm trying to make. <laughs> yeah, I was right. All right, so let's go to James. Um, Okay, so it's just telling you, although King James, um, really the name of uh, Stuart as the surname, okay, but a lot of people took on the James surname in recognition of King James, okay? Just like a lot of surnames and first names are the derivatives of these uh, European kings, which the origins of those names are black European kings, okay? So anytime you have son after a name, the first part of that name more than likely is uh, some king or duke or earl. Okay, like John's son is the really the son of John and, and just stuff like that. Okay, so right here it's giving you uh, the coat of arms, the description of the coat of arms for um, King James or the name James rather. Okay, um, so it's telling you, but in this case, this surname James coming over in um, the 1600s using the surname of James, they're giving you the lineage of those folks. Okay, all right. So I'm not going to go in that I just, anymore. I just wanted to show you how this stuff is very well so documented. Okay. So uh, now we're going to get back to what I was talking about. And I'm going to read that paragraph again. In anticipation of the flood of people to the new world, which was in a time not too far off, inedible. It was going to happen. Sorry, I was getting tongue-tied. And order, and in order to take advantage of the possibilities for trade and commerce, which would then be afforded in 1604, a group of prominent statesmen, businessmen, merchants, financiers, and manufacturers assembled in Greenwich in the county of Kent, England, to create and form a corporation, joint stock company, and body politics, which was known to be called the Virginia Company. Given that the New World was an extension of the British Empire, across the sea and the colonies formed 
therein were operating under the auspicious of the Virginia Company. The criminal courts in the new colonies were therefore and thereby to operate under admiralty law, the law of the sea, the civil courts, those of chancery and equity were to operate under common law, the law of the land. The criminal courts of the United States still operate today under admiralty law. Okay, so shout out to um, Brother Odell from the UK. Uh, last time we went live, uh, he was breaking a lot of that down for the family in detail. Okay, so he went on the business side of the house and he connected all the way up on the spiritual side of the house, what is really going on. Okay, so shout out to Brother Odell, right? The purpose of the Virginia Company. As are all corporations and business organizations, the Virginia Company was formed for several purposes. The primary one of which was to make a profit. To make a profit. Other secondary purposes were to afford various and sundry people from the royalty to commoner the opportunity to invest in shares of the corporation in the hopes of making a profit by dividends or capital gains or simply the enjoyment of the fruits of their labor and the opportunity and vehicle for, the, for raising of the venture capital to support various adventures-oriented enterprises of exploration and settlement. So you all understand what they're saying. So the main purpose, of course, was to make a profit. This is the Virginia company. And then how they raised money was basically selling stocks, selling shares. So, of course, the ones that got in on the initial public offering, they it ain't what they called it back up in the day, was the Kings and them boys. And then they opened up the common stock or the public spot uh, stock to commoners to own shares, okay? So the purpose was profit, okay? All right, the Virginia company, given that its primary stockholder and chief executive officer, CEO, was none other than who? Whom? King James, James I, King of England, Scotland, France, and Ireland on the date of April 10th, 1606 had at its disposal all kinds of types of legal, commercial, and other experts and consultants who were ready and willing to offer their services in the service of the company and therefore the crown. So I want you all to understand how the Virginia company ties directly into colonization and who was the head of it? King James. You know, King James Stewart, King of England, Scotland, and France, and Ireland, that black king, 
which we talked about yesterday, that his mom and them was black, all his relatives was black. Yeah, that King James. The original charter of the Virginia Company was written and completed by April 10th, 1606, as has already been stated, but later to afford change to meet the varying environmental circumstances. Two subsequent charters were developed and adopted, and in addition, several sets of royal orders, ordinance, and constitutions were also intercept. Inter Y'all know what I'm trying to say. Shoot. <laughs> The main points and topics covered by these three charters and the various royal orders, ordinance, and constitutions are the following. The first charter of the Virginia Company. Colonial position and size. The first charter gave the king's permission and license to several petitioners for them to create several plantations in two colonies, which were to be formed on the mainland of the east coast of the American continent. And so it's given a latitude, baby. So at approximately Carolina Beach, south of Wilmington, North Carolina, right? Given the latitude and longitude again, about where uh, present Canada, U.S. border is in the state of Vermont. In the part of the America commonly called Virginia and into other parts or territories in America either appertaining to us or which are now actually possessed by any Christian prince or people and the same colony was to include any islands offshore of the mainland within 100 miles of the shoreline and between the same above mentioned latitudes. Okay. So that would mean, you know, those island, you know, those islands within this 100 mile radius <clears throat> that we're calling the Caribbeans today, that would include that as well. Okay, which is why when you look at the ship manifest, you will see transport of people from the mainland U.S. shores to the island or to the Caribbean islands, plural, my bad. Okay, carrying passengers. Okay. And some has used that as the guise of the African slave trade when it wasn't so. It was just transferring indigenous people from, uh, let's say, Cuba, Puerto Rico, to South Carolina or to Virginia, and then the opposite. Okay. We talked about that in, um, I think it was the Barbados drop, when it talked about how uh, folks came from Virginia to Barbados to clear that land 
and then plant that tobacco crop because the Virginia Indians had the knowledge on how to grow tobacco. Okay? All right, and then, then you also find in the records that as the Black Europeans were coming in, uh, they hit those Virginia shores initially, and then you'll see the records where they start dispersing across the rest of the Americas and to the islands, which is why specifically in... Um, Jamaica, there are a lot of Black Irish there. Okay. All right. So let's keep going. Um, we talked about that. There were initially to be formed two colonies. Colony number one was to be composed of several and diverse knights, gentlemen, merchants, and other adventurers of our city of London and elsewhere, and was to be situated in that same area between, and it's given the longitude and, and latitude. Child, I'm not going to read all through that. Uh, the second colony was to be made up of sundry knights, gentlemen, merchants, and other adventurers of our cities of Bristol and Exeter, and of the town of Plymouth and of other places which to join themselves onto that colony and was to be situated in that same area between, uh, and then they're given a longitude and latitude, and child, I'm not going to read all that either. Each of the two original colonies thereby settled could be placed anywhere on the American coastline within the given perimeters and would, when mapped out, I'm sorry, when mapped and laid out, formed two square, two squares of each 10,000 square miles and each with four sides, each side being 100 miles long. And there was to be at least 100 miles between the two colonies. So they pretty specific to me. And they would have to be specific because, again, this is business for these folks. Colonization was about business. It wasn't about racism. It was about business. It couldn't have been about racism when you had a black man that set it up. And you had majority of black uh, folks, merchants, the merchants and all that stuff they talk about, nice gentlemen, were black men. And the land that they were colonizing were of black people in the Americas. So colonization had nothing to do about race and it has everything to do about business. Same as today. All right. So the colony councils, there were, were to be formed three councils, one of each in the relative colonies and one overseeing council formed in England. The two 
uh, colonial councils, one in each colony, were to be composed of 13 members appointed to the councils by overseeing council in England. And both these councils were to answer to the overseeing council in England. The overseeing council was to be composed of 13 members, each member to be appointed by the king himself or his heirs and successors. So when I keep telling you all, this is about bloodline, not color. This is about the ruling bloodline and making sure that their heirs and their bloodlines forever and ever and ever hold on to power. And they not only hold on to power, but to control the resources of the planet. For the benefit, let's be clear, for the benefit of them and theirs, their heirs, their bloodline, not for the benefit of the people. They are taking indigenous people's resources around the planet for the sole purpose of themselves personally and their bloodlines. And that's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Okay? So all of these particular uh, councils, <coughs> excuse me, all that jazz, they ultimately answer back up. They work for the king. All of these subsidiary corporations set up work for the king. And ultimately, all of this rolls back up to the Vatican. But let's continue. Natural resources. I want y'all to pay close attention. Because as I keep saying, this is not about color. This is about business. Right? Natural resources. The colonists were to have all the lands, soils, grounds, havens, ports, rivers, mines, minerals, woods, marshes, waters, Fishing, child, I, just, I, I was just too done on the water and the fish. Commodities and heteromants whatsoever, but such riches were to be had at an expense. This expense was to form part of the contract, which was to be binding upon anyone who was one of the original formers of the Virginia Company or any of their heirs or successors or assignees or anyone their successors and assignees who later joined the Virginia Company or any or either of the two or any future colonies and was explained in the two paragraphs. <laughs> so... The colonists aren't indigenous to the land, right? But yet, they're telling them what they can all 
use on somebody else's land, on the indigenous people's land. But let's, let's, let's don't get it twisted now. They got to kick them ends back up to the kings. Okay? They don't own it. They get to use it and manage it, but you better uh, run the king and them they ends. And moreover, we do grant and agree for us, our heirs and our successors, that the said several councils of and for the said several colonies shall and lawfully may be virtue hereof from time to time without interruption of us, our heirs or successors, give and take order to dig, mine, and search for all manner of mines of gold, silver, and copper, as well within any parts of the said several colonies, as of the said many lands on the backside of the same colonies, and to have and enjoy the gold, silver, and copper to be gotten there, and to use and behoove of the same colonies and the plantations thereof, yielding therefore yearly to us, our heirs and successors, the 50 parts per hundred only of all the same gold and silver and the 15 part hundreds of all the same copper, so be gotten or had as is aforesaid and without any manner of profit or account to be given or yielded to us, our heirs and successors for or in respect of the same time. All right. So pretty much they got to send back portion of their yields and you better run them profits percentage on in too. Okay. Now let's be clear. That didn't include just um, gold, silver, and, and, and minerals and mining. That also included crops. Okay. They had to run uh, some of the crops back, sit, sit apart, uh, set apart some crops and run back to um, Europe as well. Okay. All right. And that they shall or lawfully may establish and call to be made a coin to pass current there between the people of those several colonies for the more ease of traffic and bargaining between and among them and the natives there of such metal and in such manner and form as the same several councils there shall limit and appoint to belabor the point and for clarity of understanding for the reader who does not quite grasp the significance of these two paragraphs and for the clarification of some of the statements made in some of the future chapters in this book. Please note that the 50% of all gold and silver and 15% of all copper, which was to thereafter be extracted from the ground belong under the terms of the Virginia Company Covenant to the English crown and was to be transported back to England on an annual basis. Okay? So this was under King James' rulership. Under the company 
the Virginia company. So the Virginia company was just the company set up to manage the resources of the colonies. Right? This covenant is still in force today for all honorable and men and descendants of the original colon colonial founders and the descendants of all those who later were to join the Virginia company. Let me just read that for the slow ones in the back. This covenant is still in force today for all honorable men and descendants of the original colony founders and the descendants of all those who later were to join the Virginia company. So the ends are going to be ran to the crown and ultimately the Vatican. Make no mistakes about it. Okay. And we're going to get into how the Vatican got involved. Import duties, imposts, and exercises. <clears throat> the colonists were empowered to seize any ship, vessel, merchant, or trader who was found to be trading goods and commodities with the colony or member of the colony, and if the trader was not a member of that particular colony, to charge that trader a duty imposed or exercise which was to be paid to the treasurer of the colony. If the trader was so subject to payment of duty was a subject of the British crown, then the amount of the duty to be paid by the trader was to be two and a half percent on the value of anything traded. If he was not a subject of the British crown, then the amount of the duty <coughs> to be paid was five percent. Again, this is business. The duty imposed and exercises for a period of 21 years from the date of the formation of the Virginia Company were to be used by the colony, which collected them for the sole and exclusive use of the colony. And thereafter, the money from such duties was to be paid directly to the agent of the crown, who was appointed by the crown specifically for the purpose of acting as the crown's treasurer in that colony. Exports, no colonists could transport any goods, chattel, commodities, or such out of the colony for sale or trade with any foreign person or entity or country without the express and prior permission of the crown of England. And to do so would cause a to total forfeiture of all that exporters assets in the ship or vessel or vehicle, which transported him and his wares land tenement and hederments. Of course, the colonists would need to cultivate the land and grow the food necessary for their survival. Now, again, all this is talking about the colonists. Okay? Ain't nothing up in here talking about no indigenous people to the land. I ain't read yet where they said anything about the benefits of 
the indigenous people of the land. But it's the indigenous people of the land resources that they are using. That is why it is important for us to understand this information. That is why it is important for us to know whom was who when. Of course, the colonists would need to cultivate the land and grow the food necessary for their survival. So to that end, the statement of, and finally we do for us, our heirs and successors, grant and agree that we, our heirs and successors, shall by letters, patents, mm -hmm, bearing the great seal of England, England grant unto such persons the council, their heirs and their assignees, all lands, tenements, and hereditaments, which shall be within the precinct limit for that colony, 10,000 square miles in a square, which each side being 100 miles long, as is foresaid to the holding of us, our heirs and successors, as or as of our manor of East Greenwich and County of Kent and Free Sockage, only and not in Capite was entered into the first uh, charter. So those of you talking on them patents, I, I always just ask one simple question. And based on how someone answers this question, lets me know what type of research they have done. Are you following what someone else is telling you or are you researching it yourself? Because I just asked ask the simple question, who issued the patents? When folks tell me their people have patents, I ask them who issued the patents. And I ask that question because People saying, well, I'm indigenous to the land. I'm indigenous to the land. Look, look, this proves it. My family has patents on record. Yeah. Who issued that patent? So help me to understand how does that prove your family by bloodline owns that land? Not what was issued via the colonies or some type of agreement your ancestors made with these particular colonists or these particular companies that ultimately roll up to the king and then to the... Um, Vatican, or your ancestors purchased that patent from someone else who was granted that patent. I'm just going to read it again for the slow ones in the back. And finally, for us, our heirs and successors grant and agree that we, our heirs successors, shall by letters patent bearing the great seal of England grant unto us such persons. 
Okay, so they're giving all of the breakdown of um, the square miles and all of that to be, be uh, holding to us, our heirs and successors, as of our manner of each East Greenwich in uh, the county of Kent, da 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 da, entered into the first charter. Okay, so patents out the gate are issued via Europe. So just because your family holds a patent, and I don't care if it was directly given from King James himself, his heirs, King Charles' heirs, King Louis' heirs, King Louis' old lady, I don't care whom issued it. That does not prove that you are indigenous to the land. Okay? All right. The statement to beholden of us in free sockage only and not in capite meant that the colonists were granted land under a deed of trust and they could not claim ownership of the land ownership was retained by the crown they could use the land for themselves and pass the perpetual use of their particular price i'm sorry a particular piece of land on to their heirs, successors by blood, marriage, or adoption and assignees. Uh huh. Mm hmm. So, I want y'all to think on that. Because we keep bringing you all these receipts and yet people say oh I got a patent I'm going to go claim the land which I don't have no problem with it don't, don't get me wrong do you boo we're just telling you research what you're saying and my offer still stands. Anyone that's successful in claiming a land patent and getting their land back, I am more than willing to sit down and have a conversation about it. Okay? Because it would be very, very interesting for me to know how that happened just based on how we know they set set this stuff up. It was not set up for the benefit of you. Unless you and the family bloodline of these people. They made it clear out the gate that this is set up for their heirs. They cared nothing. No blanks is given if you were indigenous to the land. They took it. Bottom line. 
They took it. Okay. No blanks are given if your ancestors came over from Europe, whether you're melanated or Caucasian, to work the lands. It was never set up for your people to own the land. They made it very clear that the colonists were granted the lands under a deed of trust and they could not claim ownership of the land. Ownership was retained by the crown. They could use the land for themselves and pass the perpetual use of their particular piece of land onto their heirs and successors by blood, marriage, or adoption and assignees. So the colonists, you ain't got nothing coming. Just like the indigenous people of the land, because it was their stuff that they took in the first place. They took it. Okay. And it was a combination of things how they took it. And this is where we need to be honest. Of course, it was a lot of bloodshed and war that went on, but there was a lot of um, indigenous people of the land partnering up with the crown to do business, to set up business, and not understanding what these Europeans were doing. And I'm talking about the bloodline ruling class Europeans and they boys in them, not the Europeans that were coming over on the land, not understanding what they were doing, that they were taking their stuff over forever and ever and ever. This is what we have to be honest about as melanated people. Get your head out of the sand and look at it for what it is. That's what went down. So let me say that again for those that may not either comprehend or you want to misinterpret what I am saying. This land over in the Americas was taken by force and cooperation. The force we can truly see with all of the wars that went on for centuries and the cooperation was the facet of indigenous people that struck deals with the ruling class and the colonists because they thought that they were going to be taken care of. And they pretty much 
let the fox in the hen house. And to be more specific, the indigenous culture and the Americas, you failed when you moved away from a matriarch structure to the patriarch. That's why it was taken away from you. Because you had no business negotiating a deal, none of that. Because by natural law, land is in the ownership and the hands of the matriarch. Because the planet herself is a matriarch. So you broke natural universal law and you fail because of it. Okay. So that's for another time, another podcast, but this is how deep this stuff runs. All right. They could sell the perpetual use or part or all of their piece of land to someone else but the original ownership of the land was claimed and rate retained by the crown. The Royal Orders of November 20th, 1606. The first paragraph of this letter appoints the King's Council of Virginia in England and gives them the council a general description of their duties towards the two separate councils and colonies in Virginia. They were to nominate and appoint the members of the council of the two first settled colonies and to cause each of the two councils to nominate and appoint, <coughs> excuse me, one of their own members, not being a minister of God's word, to be the president of his respective council with the position to be held for a one-year maximum and to have another president but not the same person or formerly held the position, thereafter re-elected by the same council. These same two councils were to be subservient to the full authority of the king's council in England. Okay, so just setting up the corporation structure. All right? The king, through his English council, not only requested, but required that the members of the colony with all due diligence, with all diligence, care and respect and do provide that the true word of God and Christian faith be preached. Um, let me run that back to the slow ones in the back who say that the white man brought Christianity on the shores of the Americas. The king, through his English council, not only requested, but required that the members of the colony, colonies, with all diligence, care, and respect, do provide that the true word of God and Christians' faith be preached, planted, and used, not only within every not only within every of the several said colonies and plantations, but also as much as they may amongst the savage people, which do and shall adjoin us to them 
or border upon them according to the doctrine, rites, and religion now professed and established within our realm of England. So the white man didn't bring Christianity to the Americas. It was a black man. Okay? Criminal law. All criminal offenses or offenses against the state or king were tried and has been said before under admiralty law. Those offenses of tumult, rebellious, conspiracies, mutiny, and sedation, which may be dangerous to the estate there, the degrees of the dangerous being decided by the local council of authorities. And taking people out, manslaughter, uh, the R word, y'all see it, uh, the other one, taking advantage of, um, not taking advantage of, violating your family members and adultery were all punishable by death and except on the case of manslaughter, the convict was not to be allowed the benefit of the clergy. Okay, right? So they made it clear, okay, of course they had to lay out Unfortunately, because folks are just straight degenerates, you have degeneracy in bloodlines that they just don't know natural basic law to don't cause harm to anybody else. So they had to break down, don't be taking nobody out, don't be forcing yourself in a sexual manner upon uh, folks. And don't even do that within your family. And they even had to throw adultery up in here. And was saying they were all punished by death. But. So that part was for the degenerate folk. You know them can't just can't get right folk. Alright. They just got a messed up bloodline. Just degenerate. Okay, but let's be clear. They were saying, uh, we're talking rebellions, conspiracy, mutiny that's dangerous to the estate. So in other words, you're not finna mess up our money. That's what you're not finna do. All cases were to be tried by the council of authority before a jury of 12 honest and indifferent persons who were to either convict or acquit the accused, should the accused confess to the crime or remain mute in answer to his accusers, then he would be convicted as if the jury had deliberated and convicted him. The colonial council also had the sole power of sentencing and uh, convicted to death, but that the ability of granting pardon to the convict was reserved solely by the king where a criminal was suspected of having committed an offense outside the boundaries of the colony could be brought back to the colony for trial. Child, so they weren't even trying to uh, play with you. So in other words, so you can't go outside of the borders of the colony and think you fencing to be a degenerate or let's say you were conspiring 
against the estate or the colony, we just going to bring you right on back in and try you anyway. Okay? So they was establishing jurisdiction basically even when you stepped outside of that um, colony's borders. We're going to pull you back in anyway and tear you up because you're messing up the business. Okay? All right. Uh, should any member of the colonies be kidnapped or removed from any of the colonies by an outsider, then the kidnapper, should he or they be caught, were to be imprisoned until he or they shall fully and thoroughly reform himself. Should this miraculous reformation not take place, then the malcontent were to be speedily exported to Europe, to England, where, where he or they would presumably be suitably punished by the king's pleasure. Okay. All right. So civil law. Any civil complaints registered by the members. Now, I, I'm assuming, family, that all of this breakdown, he's getting in on the colonists. Okay? So the original people from um, England. Okay? So, which would make sense that the first set coming over here under this Virginia company were melanated black and the indigenous population was melanated black. So they was mingling and mixing and kicking it up this, that, and the third, but they made it clear that, um, you people from England, you people from England, don't think that you can turn on the crown We'll snatch your behind right back up and deport you and get you out of here. Okay. Civil law. Any civil complaints registered by the members of either colony were to be taken care of by the respective colonial councils as near as the common laws of England and the equity thereof as may be, and the local council shall have the power and authority to hear and determine all and every act, all and every other wrongs, trespass, offenses, and misdemeanors whatsoever upon accusation of any person in proof thereof made by sufficient witness upon oath, and the councils were granted the authority to punish the offenders by reasonable corporal punishment, and imprisonment or else by a convenient fee fine sorry awarding damages or other satisfactions to the party agreed the council determining the amount and severity of the punishment having regard to the quality of the offense or the state of the cause uh-huh and any and all judgments and sentences whether criminal or civil were to be registered in a book created and maintained for that specific purpose. So those people running around talking that crap about common law, we going back under common law. No, you know, I just use simple logic. I just ask simple questions. Who's that common law still under? 
while you're flapping your gums about this common law. Oh, we want to go back to common law. We don't want to be up under admiralty law. We don't want to be up under administrations and ordinances. We want to be up under common law. And that's melanated people flapping their gums, some of them. You know, the paperwork pushers. As well as Caucasian folk, some Caucasian folks, of course. And then set up this whole movement around common law, specifically Caucasian folks and the Caucasian folks uh, that are into that. That's where the whole Patriot movement came from. Talking about going back under common law. So where did that stem from? Okay. So now you're not fooling me. Because it's all of the same origins. Okay. Now what you can do. Is you could take all of that stuff back over to Europe with them shenanigans. And I'm sure even the indigenous people of Europe, you know, who they were done the same way, they were colonized the same way that the Americans was, were colonized. They don't want to be bothered with it either. Okay? So that whole going back to common law and patriarch uh, movement, it ain't nothing but a psyops. It's just jumping you out of one pan into another. That's all. With both of the pans still hot. So you jumping out of the fish grease in one pan into the pan with the chicken grease. That's all. This is why it is important for you to study as an individual. As these people are bringing this stuff to you. Trying to run game on you. Warehouses. The first five years immediately after the initial settlement, the colonists were to bring all their produce and place it in a warehouse specifically constructed for the purpose. In addition to the local produce, everything thereafter brought to the colonies from England was also placed in the warehouse. Hey, yep, I specifically remember going over this. Um, okay, so bear with me, those who have heard this before. Um, so each year, the council was to elect a warehouseman named the treasurer or cape merchant to take charge and manage the commodity stored in his care. This person could be reelected by the council upon the expiration of his one uh, year service. In addition, two bookkeepers were to be appointed, each also for a term of one year, one to keep a register of all things brought into the warehouse and one to keep similar book of all things removed from it. So they ain't trying to play, okay? So I'm not gonna read through all of this. I just wanted to give you all the origins of 
um, the Virginia company, and we're still not done because I want to go into other stuff. I don't, this is already going to be long. Okay. So this is how tight they had how their company was going to operate. So we talked about how it was formed and now they're giving you the specifics on how things were supposed to be ran on the colonies on down to the laws. Um, you know, how they're, you know, the warehouse to track stuff. Okay. All right. And it gets into the ordinances. Okay. So let's get into the second charter of the Virginia company. Um, one of the secret corporations that is comprised of the secret oligarchy is the Virginia company. In October 1781, when the Earl of Cornwallis capitulated to the British East Indian Company, employee, are y'all peeping game? To the British East Indian Company, employee, George Washington, the name of the Virginia Company was renamed. So are you peeping game? The Virginia Company, because you're going to read where the Virginia Company was dissolved because it went bankrupt. But they just stood up another company called British East Indian Company. And guess who was the employee? George Washington. Okay, so you remember how the original Virginia company was set up for the purpose of the 13 colonies. So what was George Washington the official of? Wasn't he the official first president of the United States of America, which is a corporation? So they just stood up another company but it was really the same thing as the Virginia company. The new secret company was now called the United States of America Corporation and Body Politic. So when we talk to you and shout out again to Brother Odell from the UK, when we were breaking down this information, when he was breaking down this information, how all of this rolls up ultimately to the Vatican. And when we pulled up for you, Duns and Bradstreet, and I was showing you how all of these entities are corporations. The United States of America is a corporation. And what they do when they go bankrupt or when it's time to reform the company for whatever reason, they dissolve one company and stand up another. Okay? And literally in uh, 2008, remember when that whole banking thing happened? We caught how one of the the uh the company united states of america 
Now, I forget specifically how they named it, was dissolved. And then another company was stood up. We literally caught where they did it. So that's those of you that follow that side of the house, when you heard that rumbling that the United States had gone bankrupt and been shut down, it did, but they just stood it back up. See, that's what they've always done. But let's continue. The term of the uh, capitulation was the secret corporation would continue in existence forever. The arrangement that the queen, the king or the queen of England would continue to receive 20% of the revenues from the Virginia company as per the old charter of 1607, again, forever. So I'm going to say again, colonization is not about racism. It is about business for these people. Okay. The Paysor family signed a contract with Benjamin Franklin in 1785 to handle all of the communications and transportation in the secret corporation again forever. So this Paysor family, like I told you, they managed the assets of the United States on behalf of the kingdom. Okay? The Crown Prince of France, Louis Charles Bourbon Capet, was made the manager of the United States Corporation in 1805. At that time, the Crown Prince was 20 years old. He had been in hiding in the city of London since both of his parents were beheaded during the civil, I'm sorry, during the French Revolution in 1793. His father was Louis the 16th. And his mother was Charlemagne's bloodline, Marie Antoinette von Habsburg, bloodline, i.e. Queen Elizabeth today. So let me just pause a minute because I, 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 I just want to bring up pictures of these people so we are clear on who is whom. So let me pause for a second, family. All right, so just so we clear... Uh, that's King James, and I'm again in this particular podcast in the bonus material. I'm going to rerun the pictures of those black uh, nobility. Okay, so just to be clear, this is King James, okay, who set up that original um, Virginia company and who sanctioned Christianity to be on the shores of the Americas. Okay, so let's see who's next. Just to be clear, uh, this is Charles. Dang, I forgot I got to pull uh, Louis. 
I can't find my picture of uh, King Louis. Right? This is Charles. Okay? So, although we didn't talk about him, um, Philip Philippe of Spain. Okay? Just to be clear oh, on who was whom. Okay? But uh, Louis XVI and them and Marie Antoinette von Habsburg, they were all melanated today, okay? So the bloodlines, that, the Caucasian bloodlines that you see today just married into the melanated bloodlines, all right? It is still the same bloodline. Okay, so I'm not going to go over the rest of that. I just wanted to show you all... Um, the high-level origins of the Virginia Company. And again, this is from the paysewer.net. Okay, so um, what I want to get into now, this is an extract from uh, Virginia Company of London, a, a manuscript. Okay, this is coming from the Library of Congress. Okay, so... What I wanted to get at with you all with this one is the fact that it says extracts from the manuscript records of the Virginia Company of London patent patent for the laden Puritans. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a patent for the laden Puritans. May 26th, there go that 1619 again. So now, what was the 1619 project about? Was it about slaves coming over from Africa? Or was that 1619 project really about those black Europeans coming over? Uh-huh. Because, see, one is documented extremely, extremely well. They documented it to the hilt in this 1619. Let me scroll it up myself. In the 1619 visitation of Kent. It's documented extremely well. So here we got again. Let me flip back. Sorry, I'm not trying to make y'all dizzy. <laughs> here we got again. Manuscripts, records of the Virginia Company of London, patent for the laden Puritans. May 26, 1619, one of uh, Wincop commend to the company led by Earl of Lincoln, intending to go in person to Virginia and there to plant himself and his associates, presented his patent now to the court, which was referred to the committee that meeteth upon Friday morning at Mr. Treasurer's house to consider and if need be to correct the same. 
okay? So it's given June 1619. By reason, it grew late and the court ready to break up. As yet, Mr. John Winecop's patent for him and his associates to be read and it was ordered that the seal should be annexed until it and referred to the trust thereof to the auditors to examine that it agreed with the original, which if it's docs not, they have permission to bring it into the court and counsel it. Okay, so let me, um, now remember what this is the patent for, for leading Puritans. Um, so on February 1619, a grant of land to John Pierce and his associates and heirs and assigns. It was ordered also by general consent that such, uh, shoot, that's what I get for getting distracted, child, and then lost my, um, <laughs> where I was. Uh, it was ordered also by general consent that such captains or leaders of particular plantations that shall go there to inhabit by virtue of their grants and plant them their tenants and servants in Virginia shall have liberty till. Okay, and so they just... um Giving some notes down here. All right. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I'm not leaving nothing out. Um, shall have liberty till a form of government be there settle them of associated until the diverse of the gravest and discreetest of their company to make orders, ordinance, and constitutions for the better ordering and di directing, I think that's directing, of their servants and business provided they be not repugnant to the laws of England. Okay, so... Um, so, let's see what they're saying... Special committee was appointed managing uh, the 500 pounds given by an unknown person for educating the infidel children. Mr. Treasurers signify that they have met and taken into consideration the proposition of Sir John Wollstenholme that John Pierce and his associates might have the training and upbringing of some of these children but the said committee, for diverse reasons, think it's inconvenient first because they intend not to give the two or three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on to it. Get on to it. Here we are. All right. And also that the Indians are not acquainted with them. And so they may stay for four or five years before they have account that any good is done. So what I'm trying to get at here is let's go back to the top. Manuscript records of the Virginia Company of London patent for the Puritans. Everything is documented very well. This is from the Library of Congress. 
So they had to get patented did, did, approval for the Puritans to come over here and teach the religion to them Indians, that indigenous population. They didn't have to teach it to their own people or people from Europe and England because they already knew it. Okay? So let's talk about the Puritans. Okay? So are you getting the connection? Manuscript records of the Virginia Company of London patent for the Puritans. So you want to talk about how religion got to the states? It was all tied to colonization. All sanctioned by the king. All documented very well. Let's get over to this um, history of the Puritans under King James I. The reign of King James I of England, 1603 to uh, 1625, saw the continued rise of the Puritan movement in England that began during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, 1558 to 1603. Again, these are melanated people. And the continued clash with authorities of the Church of England. Um, okay, so I'm just giving you, I don't feel like reading that. So you can read on your own what the Church of England was about. This eventually led to the further alienation of the Angelicans and Puritans from one another in the 17th century during the reign of King Charles I that eventually brought about the English Civil War of 1642 to, six, uh, to, to 51, the brief rule of the Puritan Lord Protector of England, Oliver Cromwell, the English Commonwealth, and as a result, the political, religious, and civil liberty that is celebrated today in all English-speaking countries. So again, where did the religion come from? Europe. Not on the America's shores. Europe. It had to be sanctioned. King James sanctioned for their system of religion to come over to the American shores. He sanctioned for the Puritans to come on the American shores. And they're so meticulous about their records that under the Virginia Company of London, because remember, that's what the first 13 colonies were about. That's what business they were under the Virginia Company of London, they had to get a patent. That Puritan movement had to get a patent to come over here. Now, if the indigenous population of the Americas already knew about Christianity, 
Why would they need to come over here with it? And why in this extract, when they were getting it patented, that, oh boy, they was telling them specifically how long they could come over here, this, this our first set of Puritans, to teach them Indians. Said because that the Indians are not acquainted with them. The Indians are not acquainted with them. And so they may stay for five, uh, five year, four or five years before they have an account that any good is done. So now again, how did religion get over here? It's been meticulously documented that through Europe, religion was brought over here. King James wanted them Indians to become Christians. He wanted them Indians taught by that Puritan movement. Okay? And so the next one, it says that it was uh, on uh, in July in 1621, it was moved seeing that Mr. John Pere had taken a patent of Sir Fernando George and thereupon seated his company within the limits of the northern plantation as by some was supposed whereby he seemed to relinquish the benefit of the patent he took the, to this company that therefore the said patent might be called in unless it might appear he would begin to plant within the lim limits of the, the southern company, okay? So they were also telling them what particular land uh, they were going to have under that patent and the fact that they could teach the religion for a specific amount of time. Okay. Let's get back to the history. Now, now just to be clear. This from the Library of Congress. Okay. The Virginia Company of London Extracts. Okay. Uh, manuscript records of the Virginia Company of London patent for the Puritans. Okay. So I'm going to do a follow-up to go a little bit more in detail with this. Okay. But for now, let's get to these Puritans and we're going to wrap it up for this particular segment. King James was brought up in Scotland under the influences of strict Scottish Calvinist tutors like George um, Buckingham, who sought to instill him a commitment to the Protestants' cause in Scotland. When he became the king of both England and Scotland, James sought to keep the Church of England strictly under his uh, monarchical rule and the power of... Epispoxy. 
Ikapaski. I'm sorry. I'm trying to say Episcopal, but y'all get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Previously established under Elizabeth, King James held strong convictions of the divine right of kings and even wrote a book on the subject. To that end, he continued to suppress many of the important aspects of the Puritan movement, including the many Puritans, congressionalists, and Presbyterian views of the church government. The king knew that th uh, the king knew, though, that he needed the Puritans to strengthen the Protestant establishment in England, as well as the as every aspect of the nation's prosperity and success. Okay. To that end, King James supported and even advanced many of the Puritan pastors, uh, academics, and gentry, just as Queen Elizabeth did, if and when they were willing to work with the Anglican establishment under the authority of the, I'm sorry, I didn't skip something, as they were willing to work with the establishment under the authority of the bishops. For this reason, the Puritan movement continued to grow and expanded throughout England in remarkable ways under the reign of King James. To be sure, the Puritan movement in England was considerably strengthened on account of the successions of three archbishops of Canterbury who served under King James, Archbishop John uh, White, uh, appointed by Queen Elizabeth, sought to suppress the Puritan movement, Archbishop Richard Bancroft, chief overseer of the production of the King James Bible. Okay, so now y'all know who was head in charge of making sure the King James Bible was put together. Also sought to suppress the uh, Puritan reform movement, but was forced to increasingly re rely upon them because of the Catholic threat. Archbishop George Abbott was actually often supportive of the Puritans and their design for reform, promoting them to high ecclesiastical and academic appointments. For this reason, Abbott was often spoke of at times as the Puritan Archbishop. Okay. All right. So I'm going through this just to give y'all a history of not only the Puritan movement, but just how Christianity got on the shores of the Americas. Okay. One of the greatest accomplishments of the Puritans and Angelicans together during the reign of King James was the translation of the King James Bible. That 1611 version. Arguably one of the greatest history, uh, historical, literary, and theological achievements of the Western world. It was also during the reign of King James that the Puritan and Angelicans worked together at the Synod of Doth. What the heck is that? Um, so that was an international Synod held in 
drenched in 1618 and 19 by the Dutch Reformed Church to settle a divisive controversy initiated by the rise of Arminianism. The first meeting was, oh, all right, whatever, an international conference of reform theologians that drew up the canings uh, of Dort in defense of the five points of Calvinism refuting the Armenian heresy. It was moreover during the reign of King James that the pilgrim movement within the Reformed churches separated from the Church of England and began their colonization venture in America known as the Plymouth Colony, 1620. Okay. Under the leadership of William Bradford and William Brewster, these great achievements of the Puritan movement in England under King James shows how widespread the influence of the Puritanism was at the time and how they adopted to the king's authority in different ways. Some of them sought to work within the establishment like William Perkins, master of Emmanuel College, while others left the Church of England and ventured elsewhere, like William Ames, who spent much of his career in Holland. So now, how did Christianity get to the shores of the Americas? It was through the Puritans, which was sanctioned by King James because they were teaching the Indian population Christianity. So if Christianity was already in the Americas, and if all of those things that happened in the Bible was already in the Americas, and the indigenous people of America was already had knowledge of those practices, even the Jewish practices, why would they need the Puritans over here? Why would they need a Bible? Yeah, that part. The English Puritan movement that began in the reign of Elizabeth and grew in strength and influence in England during the reign of King James sought to further work of reforming the Church of England, eradicated the influence of Roman Catholicism in the land, as well as promote the national interests of English crown and the English people under a united Protestant confession that was in strict conformity to the Bible and Reformed theology. The, this Puritan vision that began in the Elizabeth, the Elizabeth area, I'm sorry, era, would eventually result in the Windsor Assembly and the Windsor Standards, including Windsor. Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catchism and Larger Catchism, and the Directory of Public Worship. 
under James I of England, the Puritan movement coexisted, coexisted with the conforming Church of England in what was generally an accepted form of Episcopal, Episcopal Protestant religion. This equilibrium was dis, uh, distributed towards the ends of the period by several new development doctrines from the Synod of Dort, politically from the discussion of the Spanish match shortly after the outbreak of the Thirty Year War and the internal to the church with a partial shift of views away from Calvinism, separatists who had never accepted King James' settlement of religious affairs began migrating to New England's colonies from the Netherlands as well as England. Okay, so I'm not going to read the rest of this. You can certainly read, uh, read it yourself. Okay, but my whole point of this was to once again, not only give you a high level of the Puritans, the history of the Puritans, just to show you the origins of the Puritans, to tie it back to them bringing Christianity over to the Americas. It was not already here. And I don't even want folks to come up there to my well, you know, the Indians weren't practicing um, Christianity. They was practicing Judaism. Oh, okay, then. So if that's the case, then why would they have to put so much work into teaching them Christianity. So are you saying that all Indians were Jewish or Hebrew? And that King James and them came over here and just converted them Indians to Christianity? Is that what you're saying? And where is the proof of that? So King James and them came over here to convert the Indian population to Christianity. And even if you want to use the argument that the indigenous people practice Judaism, which they did not, King James says his lineage is Hebrew. He acknowledges that his lineage is of the Judean people. So that doesn't make sense either. They are telling you just in this little bit of snippet how over in England and over in Europe, period, they make the decisions on what religions are going to be practiced. 
And they was arguing amongst themselves on what was going to be practiced. And people was ticked at King James because he was moving from Catholicism to more on that Protestant level. And he created the Puritan stuff, but make no mistake about it. King James says that he is a Hebrew and a Roman by bloodline. Okay. So um, I just wanted to bring you all this. Uh, so once again, we got into the details of what the Virginia company really is. And how the Virginia Company is the business of colonization. On down to the religion. Okay? So when we talk about these things of what colonized the world, and I'm going to specifically go on the side of the Americas, you have to take a hard look at religion also. When you identify yourself with the bloodline through religion, I hope you understand what you're identifying with. And that's okay if you want to identify with it. And if that is your people, that's okay to do that. But to make a blanket statement that, oh, no, you know, in America, that that was the bloodline of the America's shores. Uh, no, that, that, will, that would be a no. That would be a hard no. Okay. So um, I'm going to go through the rest of this. Um, Virginia Company of London extract. And if it's some more meat in here beyond the Puritans, I will do a part two to this. Um, I am going to, once again, at the end of this particular podcast, I'm going to put those pictures again of those black royal European bloodlines. Okay. That's where the origins of all of this started. All right. So thank you all for your support. Uh, this is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. And if you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to subscribe, like, and share. I wish everyone well on this challenge you losing track. Is this Tuesday or Wednesday? Child, what day is this? Tuesday. Chelsea, I'm literally losing track. <laughs> I wish everyone well on this Tuesday, family. Peace and love.